Twelve knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode two hundred and seventy-two. Jason Lingren is with me, and Ken Cousins is back. Uh, as you may recall, uh, we barely scratched the surface last time. Said it may take two or three episodes, so that's why we have Ken back. Uh, for those who don't recall, uh, we're delving back into ideas around law again. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning. All right. Do we have anything for it? We do not. Let's go for it. All right. Let's go for it. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. Glad to be back. All right. Well, last time I had some witty lyric I pulled off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> I'm not so clever this time, but right. uh, I, I think we're going to jump in redefining. I don't know if that's right. Uh, explaining out to some degree jurisdiction as an idea. So do you want to pick up with jurisdiction? Sure. Well, as I said in our first session, fundamentally law is based on contract and contract then in fact actually determines jurisdiction and if you remember i started off with a little metaphor of if you're standing on the santa monica pier if you're facing the wrong way from wanting to walk towards new york or even las vegas you're going the wrong way and you're not going to get where you want to be this is the unfortunate thing with what's out there in the mass convolution of data and detail and concepts and ideas, some of which are quite substantive and others are just superficial. But the problem is that people don't know where they are. They don't understand what I just said, that contract makes the law and essentially law is within a contractual basis is jurisdiction. The root of the word jurisdiction, most people understand juris means law. It's a basis of jury, jurist, juridical, things like that. It's, it's law. It comes from the Latin. Diction means the words. So jurisdiction means a definition of words that essentially define the parameters of a jurisdiction. But deeper, the word juris also means oath. And what we need to understand is through everything we've done, we have re-established or re-expressed an oath to a specific jurisdiction, essentially by contract. And for those, which is probably most of the listeners, who grew up through the school system in the United States, what did we do every day in class? If you're old enough, I assume they're still doing it, but who knows? You took an oath of allegiance to a flag, okay? And the word allegiance is very important. Allegiance is a pledge or an oath to be bonded or bound to a jurisdiction. And this goes back to the nature of land and the law of the land. And all land, as I described last time, is under the authority, at least the way the world system has been for thousands of years, under the crown or a sovereign who grants land to his noble men, noble men who become landlords, landed gentry, and they take an oath of allegiance, which is called an oath of fealty, which is faith or bonding their faith to the sovereign who has given them the land. And this is basic feudal law. And we were taught in school that all oh, the feudal system went away a long time ago, but it didn't. It just got recoded and came back in a whole different format. We are in a feudal system, which establishes there is a lord above one and there is a vassal lord relationship. So even the landlords who hold the land, big estates, 
they're considered vassals in that system because they were underneath the sovereign lord. And then underneath those landlords are the lesser stations, which could have some level of title all the way down to the landless serfs. And essentially, we've all been lifted off the land. We are landless serfs, and we have pledged an oath of allegiance to a jurisdiction. That jurisdiction is the corporation. And on that basis, we are bound to all the rules of that corporation. So that establishes jurisdiction, and that is the essence of my saying you don't know where you're at, where you're facing, because even many advanced processes and systems that we talked about last time, people do those things, but they don't understand that there are hidden contracts that bind them to following the rules, the codes, the statutes of the corporate jurisdiction. So if I followed you correctly, the average person could be under more than one jurisdiction. I mean, how many contracts do we enter into knowingly and unknowingly, which is a bit laughable, considering Mm -hmm. that that's supposedly a meeting of the minds. In other words, everyone understands. But I mean, if what you're laying down, I've been surfing my whole life. Who knew Um, Mm -hmm. if what you're laying down is correct? So can you be in more than one jurisdiction? And if you are, doesn't that mean if you ever want to remedy out of these things, you've got to deal with each jurisdiction you're in? Or is that wrong on the face of it? No, it's not wrong. It's partially right and not necessarily an absolute. So again, let's talk in the United States. This applies worldwide, but it's a variation on the theme. It depends what country you're in. If you're in English law, Commonwealth countries, then you're essentially under English law, under the crown directly as a subject to the queen. Uh, If you're in Europe or Latin America, you're under Roman civil law and the nature of those law systems. But essentially, at this point, we're all under Roman civil law. Roman civil law is the law of military conquering, and we're all under military conquest, and hence in the system that applies to the rules that we've attached ourselves to. So back to the United States, Obviously, we are in a jurisdiction, like right now, I'm in the city and county of Los Angeles. Those are two jurisdictions. I'm in the state of California. I'm in the United States. The United States is part of the United Nations, so there are layers of jurisdiction. But the way the entire world system has been created, which we went into fairly in depth, but broad brushstrokes last time, we could say scratching the surface, but we framed it out. So what we want to do today and probably another session is drill down to more detail and specifics. But the bottom line is all of those things I said, city, county, state, nation, and international are subdivisions. So we're attached to one jurisdiction. It's the civil containment field under military conquest and bankruptcy. And based on that, We have taken an oath of allegiance to a subdivision jurisdiction of a global jurisdiction that posits that all human beings are lifted off the land and we have no standing, as I went over last time. So the key also is, I started by saying, well, we take an oath of allegiance and essentially the the landed aristocracy as landlords under a grant made patent by the, the Lord Sovereign to hold the land and an oath of fealty, they're all oaths of allegiance. And as I said last time, 
understanding the roots of language, etymology is very key and critical. So let's look at the word allegiance. What do we hear in that word? Liege. Have you ever heard the phrase, a liege lord? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Mostly in Hollywood, but yep. Yeah. Well, exactly. But Hollywood tells us <laughs> a lot of the stories. So how do you understand that phrase, liege lord? Well, to me, it means that there is a supposed royal or someone in a king or queen-like position that you owe allegiance to, basically. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's legion. So, so an oath of fealty established a lord vassal relationship, and the higher level, the lord position, is the liege lord who you have bounded, bonded, bonded yourself in allegiance to. But let's break the word up further. Liege also is the root of the word legis. People who study law, one of the first things they come across is the phrase ens, E-N-S, legis, L-E-G-I-S, which basically is what people call, I've called it the franchise, people call it straw man. It's what's referred to as a juristic person, a person which is an artificial entity, not a living man or woman. Juristic simply means bound by a juridical or a jurisdictional framework in law. So an ens legis is the equivalent of a vasso or a liege who is attached to a sovereign entity. In this case, it's far removed from almost all of us from, say, an actual king or queen. It's to the corporate state. And in the creation, remember the second part of the word jurisdiction, word, in law, in legal systems, the first thing you come across, even in contracts, often are definitions of words. So if we go to the definition of the word person, it means an individual or a trust or an association or a corporation and things like that. And then people say, well, I'm an individual. But that in defining the word individual is not a freestanding living being. It's also essentially an individual by definition actually means franchise. So it creates a artificial person that is attached by allegiance to a legislating body. There's that same word, L-E-G-I-S, legislate. So the way the whole thing has been turned around, both in the United States and on a global scale, is that we are bound by allegiance contractually, jurisdictionally, and we must follow the liege lord who has assigned the authority to bind us to codes through legislation. And it's all interconnected there. Well, so much, so much for understanding when you enter enter into a contract. Or you know, I was just recalling. Can I remember taking an oath? I mean, I remember the pledge of allegiance, but I was too young to enter into a contract at that point. Um, but Jason, I'm guessing you got things you want to bring up here, don't you? Yeah. Well, right from the get go, it sounds like from the moment we're born, and probably beforehand with our parents. We are literally entering into agreements and contracts and all that sort of thing, and we just don't know any better. And of course, we're not taught any of this in school. Uh, God forbid we actually learn something for real. I think we mentioned this in the first episode with you that it's not actually wrong, or I don't remember exactly how we worded it, but is there anything one can do? I think we called it fraud, and you said it was not fraud. Yeah. Is there anything one can do 
let's say like when you turn 18, for instance, and you have to sign up for the selective service and all that kind of stuff in the United States, is there anything one can do to say, I did not understand any of these things. I had a social security card gotten for me after I was born, before I was an adult. I had a birth certificate got for me before I was an adult, whatever, bank accounts, Mm -hmm. possibly even credit cards. Right, all that. Well, that's that's a very good question. It's very, very precise. In the current system, the age of majority, meaning having adult status, is 18. But underlying that, <clears throat> we're still minors. We're still legal wards of the guardian, the guardian being the state. Remember last time we talked about, I think we talked about, I'm not absolutely sure, but I think we did, uh, the distinction between a legal guardian and a lawful parent. So our parents are legal guardians, basically, as a authorized agent of the executor of the the estate, and so they are authorized to give you medical events like injections, vaccine vaccinations, which are certificated. Everything that happens is a, a certificate is issued, and there's a phrase in law called certificated property. So it's over and over certificating uh, the body as property of the state under the whole relationship of executor and the estate and the property. And then we get social security number, we get a bank account, we do all of those things, but we're still a minor. Even if we are 88 and we keep functioning in that way, because technically we have not lawfully reach the age of majority. Legally, we can be held accountable, say, as an adult in that system. And we have to go, like you said, for uh, men to sign up for selective service and do all those things. But the key is what you asked, which is it was done by error and mistake. So the reason I say it's best not to call it fraud and some people commented on the YouTube and said, oh, you know, what's he talking about? It's it's all fraud. But it's a matter of positioning ourselves. It's a matter of do we want to disempower ourselves or we want to strengthen our power, true power from within ourselves where we're not battling something outside of ourselves and we have the power and capacity to deal with whatever comes at us. Like what I described last time with the IRS or the SEC, that instead of say, no, that's fraudulent, you don't have that authority, you can't do this or that. Well, I agreed with them, and I accepted what they presented, but I had this shift of status already in place so that I could do that in a way that rather than going into a controversy, which if we say, well, that's fraud, they say, no, it isn't, yes, it is, no, it isn't, then you're in a controversy. If it's if you're in a controversy and you have those contracts in place that have bound you by allegiance and so forth to their jurisdiction and the legislative body that says these are the rules of managing our property, then you have created a controversy and a controversy has to be adjudicated by a proper court of competent jurisdiction. So rather than doing that and calling it a fraud, just say, okay, fine. I see the closed system logic within your entire legal and monetary system. I'm not going to argue it. I'm just going to accept it in the sense that I now understand that I made an error and mistake. And within um, both law and equity and even in commerce, 
the power of correction of mistake is pretty much absolute and it's one of the highest powers we have. Oh, I made a mistake. Okay, how can I settle this matter? How can I correct the record and settle the charge that is brought before me? And then you move it out of commerce, you move it out of legal codes, and you move it into equity, which is basically a matter of just settling equities that have arisen. All right, well, that, I'm going to back up two steps because as you were speaking, um, I thought it might be good to clarify the idea of the age of consent. Um, that's a loaded word, knowing what we know now. What are we consenting to? What is the age of consent? How does all right. this, does it have a bearing? Is there yeah. a way that the age of consent could be something that you beneficially leveraged off or is it something else altogether? Well, that's a good question and depends how we want to look at leverage for many, many people. Well, first of all, back to what Jason asked in the first place. Yes, the, the age of majority in a legal sense is 18. Prior to that, we're under the authority and the guardianship of the parent. Uh, after that, we can be held liable or accountable as an adult. But then we proceed forward. Uh, if we got a driver's license at 16, uh, we had at, at that point um, the ability to sign and accept that position. And the position of a driver in commerce is very specific. It's under the regulatory control of the of Congress and its power to regulate interstate commerce. So we have volunteered to be a driver in commerce. Now, after the age of 18, so we have a driver's license, we have a SSN, we got all these other certificated uh, attachments and so forth. At any point in time, whether it's at 18 years in one day or 88 years or anything in between, we can sever the attachments and we can uh, essentially negate the presumption of consent. Because every day we show up consenting. If we wake up in the morning and we still have attachments where our signature has been applied to a bank account, applications for credit, mortgage, you know, the infinite number practically of the things we've attached our signature to, those are tacit records of consent. And if we go into a court, uh, this goes back to what we talked about also, that people who are doing different things, secured party uh, creditor or notice of liability and going into court, just by showing up, the presumption of consent has been established. And when we participate there, in the normal way, then we have reaffirmed our attachment to the jurisdiction. And the key thing about jurisdiction in the United States, and I'm sure most places on the planet, is we're defined as a resident. Does that ring a bell? People ask you every day, well, where do you reside? You get pulled over by a cop, he says, well, where do you reside or where do you live? And you say, well, 123 Main Street. Well, you've just established you reside in their jurisdiction. And the word res means property. And identity means the identification. So resident means identity of the res or the property. So your name on the driver's license establishes the identity of the property or the res that belongs in that particular estate, your name and the estate. And we're all considered residents of the United States. And prior to the 1850s, no such thing existed. There was no such thing as a United States resident. 
and then they shifted it post-Civil War, and they started shifting all the constitutions of the states to reflect United States citizenship, residence, and hence U.S. person status. All these things have established our identity as property of the state. And then all the things we engage with, bank accounts, Federal Reserve notes, contracts for utility bills and taxes and court procedures are all under the Uniform Commercial Code. And the UCC is the law merchant restated from Rome. And the law merchant or the UCC fundamentally is about merchants, mariners, and their property. And of course, how they're secured on their property. So if we touch and engage and act within the commercial field, we are acting as a merchant or a mariner and or their property. So there's a couple things. I was going to ask if this is a good place to talk about, um, what would the word be? To detach, to unattach, to become unattached, whatever it would be. But isn't it interesting that we have organizations like here in Rhode Island, it's probably one of the last states where there's actually supposedly a real mob of some sort, all Italian-based which is where all this law comes from. So isn't it interesting that the very people operating outside, seemingly with, with impunity for the most part, I would add, uh, are from the same place. They must understand something about law, I would say. But um, is this a good place to talk about detaching? Is that, is that the right way to say it? Sure. Uh, I do want to mention one thing which is interesting is that the 13 original states, and of course, Anybody who's looked at even a modicum of the esoterics, we all know about, you know, the 13 stripes on the flag, the 13 families con- controlling the world through banking and, and related things. So no, none of those things within the esoteric realm are by accident. So the 13 states uh, had very specific functions and purposes. So interesting, Rhode Island, very, very small state. I think it's the smallest, but it was one of the last vestiges of a true private community or private association. And I forget the man's name. Uh, maybe you know it since you're, uh, it goes back to about two to 300 years ago. Roger Williams. Uh, there was Roger Williams. I think, yeah, it was him, but there was somebody else too. But yeah, Roger Williams created the, um, and I forget the name. Excuse me, it was several years ago that I learned about it. But it was one of the last vestiges, if you will, before it all started being moved into the constitutional structure and eventually the corporate structure. So that standing or that uh, status is still there in Rhode Island, which would be a very interesting thing for you to explore further. We can maybe do that a little bit offline. There's a bit more to it. Um, Rhode Island is indeed a unique state. So people have a frame of reference. The state can fit four Rhode Islands in San Diego County, where Mm -hmm. where I'm from. But um, they they have not gone along. They're the only state. Like not too long ago, you could get 13 DUIs and march into DMV and seal your records. And it was never reported Mm -hmm. to insurance. It was the only place. Not only that, it is the one place that stood up in the forming of the Electoral College and said, you guys are putting a back door to power. This is fraud. And they walked out and said, we won't participate. So it is truly mm-hmm. a unique place. But anyhow, yeah. I kind of yeah. sidetracked stuff. But it's good to know that because I am, well, I don't like the word anymore, but I am a resident here in the eyes of, yeah. the, of the law. 
but let, let's let's talk about detachment. I'm sure people would be interested to know something. What's the right way to um, to become unattached? To be <laughs> disconnected? How, how would you say it? Right, right. Before we go, there's just a couple other quick mentions relative to what I was leading to with the 13 original states. Oh, okay. Is Sorry. we've got Delaware. Uh, what is Delaware known as? Corporations. That's where everybody wants to have a corporation. Well, what's the word Delaware? It's de la wire or war. It's it's the war state where the corporations are established to be be at war. You've got Maryland and Virgin Virgin, yeah. And between Maryland and Virginia, that's where they carved out the District of Columbia out of the Virgin Mary. And this goes back to lots of the esoterics going back to biblical. All all sea ideas there too, right? Mary, Mar, you can attach all all that. Well, that's also, yeah. And and what is, what, what, what city is part of Maryland? Annapolis. And that's where the um, Naval Academy and all that, it's part of Mare or Mar of the sea. So that's the entry point of, of maritime jurisdiction. And you have Carolina split into two, north and south, which goes back to Carolina, Carolinian lineage, which is the Holy Roman Empire from Charlemagne, who began the Carolinian jurisdiction and as a result of that there's a purpose why carolina was split in half because it's exactly if you look at it the 33 33rd parallel goes exactly lands on the land from the sea to the land um where carolina is split in north and south it lands exactly on the 33rd parallel which goes all the way into europe and and runs right through jerusalem which is sitting on the 33rd latitude and longitude these are specific sort of holographic points of geomancy of controlling the planet and controlling the consciousness and putting very specific things um obelisks and capitals and and different things on precise numerical positions on the planet to control our consciousness and then put us into this containment field by our voluntary consent so back to your question how do we disattach? Well, because it's all voluntary and because of what we just talked about, that it's that we woke up one day, we pursued our, our see, the technical answer to the question or the issue of is it fraud or not is going to be, no, it's not fraud because it's all available. It's all in plain sight. It's hidden in plain sight. It's fragmented. You have to put all the pieces together, but it's fully disclosed. And that goes into the esoteric side where they followed the mandate always. It must be revealed. It's hidden in plain sight so that tacitly, technically, disclosure and consent have been fulfilled. And so if we volunteered and it's hidden in plain sight, we take the time to educate ourselves and integrate the fragments in our consciousness and then ground it in to our relationship in law and monetary functions and so forth, then we can say, regardless if we've passed the age of 18 or we're 48, 68 or whatever, that we can say, oh, I was ignorant before. Of course, there's that phrase, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, that's fine. Up to the point that I shifted out of my ignorance, I had no excuse because I was ignorant of the law. But now I am not ignorant of the law. I've educated myself and I've determined that I made a mistake. 
Hence, I am correcting my mistake and I'm taking the proper lawful remedy steps to correct that mistake. And that's what I've been figuring out for 30 years. And that's what we teach in Gemstone University. How do you take the steps to sever the attachments, retire the liabilities, disengage from being certificated property attached to commercial instruments of monetized debt, and resolve all matters? That's correcting your status. And there's specific steps. We can talk about it in general. I'm not going to try and go into the detail because it's voluminous because we need to learn it. And and one of the other comments that were made on the YouTube, which has happened uh, with me, with other interviews and so forth, people, some people say it's too complex. It's too heady. It's too intellectual. He's going off and off these intellectual things of law and money and esotericism and everything else. And why can't it be simple? And it would be nice if it could be simple, but it's not simple. It does take effort and focus and persistence to become educated so you're not ignorant in the law. In law, there's always remedy. Everything that we're talking about has built-in remedy. There's remedy that we can access and call on, but you have to lay the foundation. You have to be facing in the right direction. You have to understand, understand comprehend what it is that you're doing, which requires education and the effort to undertake that education. All right. So let's start with, I'm 18 years old. Oh, you 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 look very good for 18. That's very nice. Oh, well, actually, I think I look awful for 18. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. But I'm just being polite. You look like a mess. Okay, let's say I'm 18 years old, and I've come upon this information, and I'm like, hey, I don't want to be part of this. What would I really start to do, especially since I don't know anything? I'm 18 years old, just out of high school, thinking about going to college, and I run into you, and you want to be nice to me and help me out. And I'm like, hey, I want to not be duped for the rest of my life. What should I do, sir? Well, if you run into me, I say, give me your license and your insurance, and I'll have my insurance contact you. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, well, first of all, don't call me sir. A sir is a knight under the British crown, and I definitely don't want that title of nobility. But So, all joking aside, if you're 18 or whatever age, and you encounter me or Gemstone University, The first thing I say is get educated, take the time. And let me digress a minute in terms of that context. We have also had complaints for years. People say that Ken or Gemstone University charges money for for what they're doing and it should be free and it's private. That means it's secret, all these things. Well, there's very specific and precise reasons why we have constructed Pantera Dior as a private society and Gemstone University as a private place for members of the society to access the the knowledge and the educational uh, development and and then the practical steps to do that. Uh, In the near future, we're going to shift significantly out of that, meaning we have the ability now, certain things have matured, and I'm shifting everything so that by soon after the first of the year, a significant part of the foundational education for 
answering your question, what do you do to begin, will be made available for free uh, worldwide uh, on a, um, a new platform. And there will be um, opportunities for people to take that up and do other things um, that previously were limited for access and so forth. And I don't. I just want to mention that. I don't want to go in detail now on that. We'll do that next time. There's a big thing that goes on in what you might want to just call the general truth community. And it, and right. it kind of irritates me and that people seem to think that everything should be free. Yeah, well. And, you know, it's nice when people can do things for free, but when you're doing serious work and actually producing things well or making a film, like there, there's certain things that take a lot of equipment and a, a lot of time, yeah. which of course, all these things add up to a lot, a lot of, money. of money. And I'm sorry, but most people are not loaded that they could make a two hour full feature film, for instance, and then be like, oh yeah, here you go. I, I know I spent mm -hmm. $20,000, but whatever, I don't want a dime. You know, it just doesn't work that way with a lot of things. Now, if you're sitting around doing podcasts and just talking and things like that, it doesn't really cost you very much. Okay, that's up to you. But when you do things on a much bigger level, there is cost involved. And it's funny, the same person who will bitch about that uh, will have no problem going and spending 80 bucks on a new Xbox game or whatever, you know, <laughs> right. and things like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, if it comes from a quote unquote official source, they're okay with it. I'm going to go spend $20 to go see the new Marvel movie. But mm -hmm. God forbid you have to pay someone five bucks for a pocket, whatever it happens to be, you know, or yeah. the years and years and years that you've put into trying to understand all this law stuff that very few people have done. But anyway, I just want to get that out there because I, I hear so many people complain yeah. about, oh, you're a shill because you're charging. No, right. it's because things actually take effort. But anyway, carry on. Yeah. Well, that's our little rant for the morning. <laughs> yeah, they take effort and they take costs. And what we've built in Gemstone University has, has been quite significant in terms of the, the cost, but in terms of the value, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but I've been through, been through the roads, been through everything in this, let's call it for lack of a better term, movement, law movement, freedom movement. And I've seen people charge absolutely exorbitant fees amounts for things that aren't even a hundredth of of what we've provided so it's i have i have no pangs of conscience in terms of that but it's even more important than that is is paying the price of the effort and this goes back to the question well why doesn't why isn't it simple why does he have to go in all these extended intellectual areas and so forth because it takes effort because we have been programmed to be dumbed down and uh, we've been programmed to be functional robots in a uh, system that if we learn how to function, just like we were trained in school to learn how to take the test so we could pass and get a good grade. And most people are satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with that. The two of you, I'm sure, aren't satisfied with that. And I would expect a lot of the listeners aren't satisfied. So when somebody says, oh, you know, he goes off on that level and it should be simple. It's inconsequential to me because I'm speaking to the people who are here to really step up for themselves and collectively that we can step up together. Because one of the things I determined in going through the 90s and the 2000s and the last 10 years in this movement is 
that by and large people are only interested in what's in it for me. How does this work for me? Where do I get the goodies? How do I get out? And I just want to be free and have those benefits. But you know what? Let's just look at what's happening on the global stage and specifically the American stage right now. You know, the people who are so inclined to uh, be rioting and burning things down and ostensibly voting for Joe Biden, which wasn't very many, it's another subject, but they're the ones who are demanding they get things for free. That's the, the lure and the bait of socialism. Just give me our, my basic income and give me my check every month and food stamps and whatever. And those are the ones who are screaming because they don't want to break out of that station that they've accepted in life and they just want to be taken care of. So who we're speaking to are the ones who are not in that category. They're the ones who want to step up and become part of a collective force that has grown significantly since I started 30 years ago to shift the entirety of the consciousness and the physical reality on this planet. Because I'm not satisfied with the physical reality on this planet where 4 billion people are on the edge of death, starvation, and abject poverty. That's what we're doing is we want to achieve freedom, but also do it functionally in the world so we can function in the world, not just be free and go hide away. From all the law episodes we've done, there's a glaring truth that should be pointed out of why it's not so simple. Uh, this all goes back to Rome. It doesn't matter who you listen to or whether they agree. So many of the law people don't agree in the end fight, which I think is unhelpful, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, it's fine to dissent and have a different opinion, but the kind of vociferous, well, I'm not even going to go there. The point I would make here is that there have been hundreds of years. Everyone agrees this came from Rome. So no matter what timeline you, you think is probable, at minimally hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, refining the system built around, wait for it, commerce. So mm -hmm. how complex can you imagine and how many times can you imagine it was adjusted to get their arms back around control? There must have been times when they had to readjust or do things. Maybe even the founding of this country to some degree is another step in that direction. Think about the founding of America, knowing all the things we know about legal ideas and the straw man idea and all these things. And what Ken just pointed out about how the states were set up, how they were named, how it was all kind of a little black magic-y geomancy game, which we've covered in Downard and other people who gave an inside view of how that all that went. This country was almost, I mean, I don't know if you agree with me, Ken, but it almost feels like they were still adjusting at the founding of this country, trying to figure out how to get their arms around it all. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and there's a whole lot of things that, of course, are not taught in public school. And even most people studying more advanced levels of history as it relates to this country, the founding, the Constitution, and so forth, it does get back to commerce. It gets back to everything we've talked about so far, uh, crown sovereigns, lords, vassals, land, off the land, uh, maritime, and so forth. Um, because what started in the early 1600s was the beginning of um, creating globally deployed commercial chartered corporate bodies, basically out, out of royal charters. We're talking about the Virginia Company in 1607 the Hudson Bay Company in 1670, 
the British East Indies Company, which was actually two companies that got merged and the Dutch, of course, and they had the Dutch West and East Indies companies and so forth. These were all companies. They were chartered out of the city of London. They were based on the earlier history of the city of London that created guilds and fraternities in what is called liveries. And these are the um, the power of the control of the city of London. And they have very funny names like the fishmongers livery and the, um, I forget all the um, offhand, but simple guilds for commerce, but they were very formally structured. They became the foundation of the law and the commercial extension out of the city of London. They became companies, they became merchant companies on the maritime systems. So the British East India Company, just to use the generic name, uh, was a commercial um, maritime company that was given a lease in, I think, the 1760s uh, for 20 years on all the colonies. And this was really the root of the so-called Boston Tea Party, because that was tea from India or China under the British East India Company. It had to do with taxation and the authority of the British East India Company to tax the colonists. Also, the Virginia Company was given around 1670 in that decade, five primary powers, the power to coin money, the power to convene courts, the power to declare war and peace, the power to claim land, and um, don't remember the fifth one. But basically, if you look at it, those five powers were the essential powers that then were vested in the United States as defined in the Constitution. It sounds like a full-fledged government. Yeah, oh, it was. Oh, and the power, oh, I said that, the power to uh, declare war and treaties. Actually, the fifth one is just enter into treaties. Those are the primary powers of the federal government. And there's a lot more layers of the detail. So the Constitution, even though it says to form a more perfect union, was not, was, it's very good. And right now it's, it's a very key thing in what's going on uh, in this moment in the election and so forth. But it was not a perfect instrument. Uh, it was a commercial obligatory instrument of debt. So the constitutional basis started this country in debt. Hence, we were in maritime law, bankruptcy, you know, and so forth. It was a very, very, very precisely planned out structure that created a lot of freedom, but also the illusion of freedom. And Goethe, a German writer, said it best where he said uh, none are so enslaved as those who believe they are free so how are you enslaved you're enslaved because you're in bondage how are you in bondage because you voluntarily contracted to a franchise to receive benefits and be commensurately bound to the rules of that jurisdiction codes and statutes that you have to follow but that was an error and mistake because you did not understand it, especially because your parents, like you said, Jason, gave you a SSN. Now you can't get the baby unless you really fight it. Can't get a newborn out of a hospital unless you give them a hepatitis B shot and a social security number. So immediately that newborn is a certificated property. And uh, because the social number is underwriting insurance for a maritime vessel and the certificate, medical certificate, creates certificated property uh, by the rules of the AMA and everything else attached to the medical 
which leads us to this moment about what's going on with the attempt to institute global forced mandatory vaccinations. So it's very simple. If people want simple, it's very simple. You're bound by contract. How do you get out of that? You First, of course, you educate. But with that education, you have the steps to sever the attachment. You can declare a status that you are no longer a bonded surety to a bankrupt franchise, but you have standing on in law. Now you've moved out of the cloak of that fictional corporate person, the franchise, which is the debtor. You're not the debtor. You are the surety for the debtor. But what we do in SAS Correction was we shift it basically 180 degrees. We do specific steps to sever the attachment, declare the removal of the presumption of consent. This goes back to the Declaration of Independence. What does it say right in the middle of that document? Government by the consent of the governed. So we have consented to this form of government. So we're fulfilling the mandate or the dictate of the Declaration of Independence. But if we stop consenting, then we have to take the proper steps to to move out of that. Once you've done that, that overlay, that franchise that created all these instruments of debt, certificates and bonds and liabilities and obligations and, and claims and contingent claims attached to it, you have to know how to settle those. And when you move out of civil code and you have standing to reclaim your estate and the underlying equity in it, then you have the ability to recognize where equity sits and to basically use that equity as an offset to settle and close those liabilities. That's a succinct description of what correction of status is using law and equity and understanding where you're standing and where you want to end up. So we're getting down to it, but I'll just have to say my piece one more time. I'm guessing consent has a, a dictionary definition and blocks law in other places. And this is the same problem we always come back to. Whether or not it's wise to start a controversy, I'm all about that. But to consent, you have to understand what you're consenting to. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I think what's going on now is powerful. In the same way they use geomancy, we can use maxims, which are in the same vein. Like to build a a structure, there has to be a square, true foundation. Um, This whole structure we're talking about is built on deception. It's not built on a true square foundation. And in my view, in the same way they've used geomancy and other kind of black magic ideas to further what the human mind will accept or do for that matter, this also underlines that I think there's a shelf life on things that have been put together like this. Mm-hmm. And I guess I do agree that if you don't create controversy and that improves your position, then I'm all about it. But at the back of my mind, uh, I'm sorry, the consented to, to be in consent, I must understand what I have consented to. And yet here I am with you on my Lord knows how many law shows I've done, and I'm still trying to figure out what I may have consented to. But Jason, where are we on the clock in hour one? Uh, we are definitely there. So I think we should pick up with consent in hour two. And also, I am very curious to see a little bit more about what Ken thinks that the bad guys are trying to pull on the whole world with frauding elections and mass vaccinations and all that. Yeah, Okay. Let me wrap up the hour by responding to what Crow just said. Okay. 
So by definition, etymologically speaking, the roots of the word con, sent, con means with, sent is from the word we would understand as uh, sentience, with knowing. Sentience is knowing or knowledge or awareness. So consent is exactly what you just said. Yes, it's with knowing. And no, we don't know. We, we are ignorant of the law, but we're presumed to know. And I mean, we could talk philosophically for hours and days about, well, I didn't know. And is that true consent or true disclosure, blah, blah, blah. But rather than doing that, let's use how they set it up to our benefit, which is simply like what I said. I was ignorant of the law. Now I know the law. Therefore, I withdraw my consent. I performed according to the rules based on ignorance and error. So I'm correcting the mistake. Here are the actual steps that we can correct the mistake by and move, change our status. But then we need to know how to continue to maintain the status. That's a very important thing because there's something called recontracting traversal back into the system. And then that gets into questions that people ask, well, yeah, but how do I earn a living? How do I function? Can I still drive in a car if I don't have a license? What if I get pulled over? How do you function once you have corrected your status? And for one, you need to know how to do that individually. But this is also where we're moving Pantera as a society and why we are now stepping it up to making this more generally available to start educating people how to live in the private and do so comfortably and actually without impairing their ability to live and be prosperous in their life. All right. Well, that brings us to the top of the hour for episode 272. And I'll say another thing too. I work mightily to try to get all the legal ideas and cross-reference everything. And to some degree, I understand the occult side much better. And the reason for that is because when you first become aware of it, you think, how in the hell could that possibly work? And then as you begin to catch on, and then as you begin to see the power in what's being done, it gives you a whole new window. And the truth is, this is all built on fraud and lies and deception and doing wrong. Basically, my, my personal definition of doing the wrong thing is what this is all built on. The geomancy, as an example, using the lay of land to cast spells, for lack of a better descriptive way to put it, it's real. It works. It's been proven to work. This is the same idea. Everything that's done is to maintain these falsehoods, these fictions, and that takes a lot of effort. And to some degree, it almost feels like the digital age was a quick push to get these machines in here to help do some of the police work, to help try to keep the cattle in their pens. At the end of the day, I don't think any of this can last. I don't know how long it takes us to start to get out from under it, but I think that talking about these things now from every point of view we can get, it matters. But anyhow, join us on the other side for hour two, uh, where we'll get further into legal ideas or the law. We'll talk about where we're at, what's happening right now, where we're at, and where we are as a collective humanity, where we're going to do exactly to achieve what you're saying. All right. So there it is, man. Join us on the other side at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. It's the only true crow site. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded end to this era because I'm as convinced as I can be that as we head into the new year, it will in fact be a new era. There it is, man. Join us on the other side. Cheers. 